Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gigillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig with details. I'm Jason Flom, host of Wrongful Conviction. Over the years, hundreds of exonerees have told me their stories. And sadly, with the state of our criminal legal system, we're left with far more cases than I can possibly handle alone. So I've asked some exonerees to handle some of these cases, bringing the kind of perspective to the interviews that could only come from living through their own wrongful convictions. This is one of those interviews. In the early morning hours of January 13th, 1994, Stephen Fitch, Reginald Wilson, and Felicia Lewis were in Chicago driving in Wilson's car. They stopped at a gas station so the two men could use the restroom. When Fitch walked back to the car, he saw two men hijacking it, one driving and another in the back with Wilson and Lewis. Fitch ran across the street and called the police to report the carjacking. Later that day, the frozen bodies of 23-year-old Illinois State basketball star Reginald Wilson and his 20-year-old girlfriend, Felicia Lewis, were discovered in a large garbage bin in Chicago. Both had sustained multiple gunshot wounds. The stolen car was found idling in a nearby town. After a chase, two of the carjackers were identified as Scott Chambers and Stanley Hamlin. They were interviewed and admitted their involvements in the crime. They also named three more accomplices, including a guy named Carl. Through their investigation, the police were led to Carl Williams. The co-defendants repeatedly said that Carl Williams wasn't involved and there was no physical evidence linking him to the carjacking and murders. But with a forced false confession, Carl Williams was found guilty of a crime he did not commit and he was sentenced to natural life in prison. This is Wrongful Conviction. My name is Patrick Persley, also known as Free Patrick Persley. I was previously a guest on Wrongful Conviction as an exoneree, but today I'm honored to be your guest host. It is a true privilege. We'll be talking to two people, two Carls actually, attorney Carl Leonard and my good friend and brother, Carl Williams. This interview was recorded in April 2022. 
but Carl and I have known each other for a long time. We were at Stavo Prison together, where we both spent countless hours in the law library. We probably did what? How many years do you think we did together? Oh, man. Um, at least, how, how, how many years you was in Stateville? Just 23. Yeah, see, just 23. Just 23. And then I was there about 23 years. So, so <laughs> at least 20, 23 years. A couple decades. Yes, that's for um, sure. You hail from Cook County, Chicago? I do. Born Cook and County, raised? Chicago, born and raised. What side of town? Um, the, the, what they call the low end. The low end got a hell of a rep. The low end definitely has a hell of a rep, but I think that the the low end gets an unfair rep. Well, but, I don't even think it exists no more. It's so it was so bad they knocked the buildings down, didn't they? They definitely knocked the buildings down, but the spirit and the people are still in that the community. Fr- the fraternal and still order. serving that community um, in, in a more productive and positive ways. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. So, going forward, right? Like you, you catch this, just this horrific. Horrific case. It's a very heavy story, right? It is. It's a very so you had to carry this. Can you like start us like at the beginning? What like what took place? So me growing up in that community, it was a community like I said that I love, that I valued, that I appreciated, and at the same time, I also made some wrong decisions in that community. I come from street hustling, which allowed me to be able to gain material wealth. And you know how this operates in, in those communities. You got to eat. Very you true. Eat. It's just that and simple. And it brings, uh, it brings a long attention. Notoriety. Some good in terms of girls uh, and things. What age are we want. talking about? Uh, we're talking about starting from the age of like 15 years old. Okay. And what it does is it brings you a ton of attention. Everybody knows your name. Everybody wants to be connected to you. A few months after Carl's 17th birthday, a terrible crime happened in his neighborhood. Here's attorney Carl Leonard who worked on Carl's case. The evidence that the, that the state collected was that there was a carjacking confrontation at a gas station in Chicago. Uh, two individuals were kidnapped during the carjacking, brought to another location. Uh, the woman was sexually assaulted, and both of them ended up murdered and in a dumpster. And there was there were some items that were stolen from the vehicle, and the state alleged that that those items were divvied up among the offenders. The other person who had been in the car with the victim saw the carjacking and called the police. The police tracked down the vehicle in a nearby town. They arrested two people running from it: Scott Chambers and Stanley Hamlin, who were both later convicted of the crime. Chambers and Hamlin then provided the police with three more names, Zarice Johnson, Anthony Brown, and a guy named Carl. They didn't give his last name, just Carl. It's really rare to have this many co-defendants, and it's a lot to sort through. Right. This is a case that involves a lot of offenders, and the police are obviously investigating. Their sort of big break is when they find the vehicle, which they had brought to a, a south suburb. Uh, outside Chicago, and that's how they made the initial arrests of who would become some of Carl's co-defendants. There's an individual with them who does not end up becoming a a co-defendant, but who is the first one to sort of start talking, and they he just starts saying names of people who were involved, gives the first name Carl. They decide that Carl Williams is the Carl that this person's referring to. The name Carl came up 
um, being involved in this brutal crime. So uh, with that name um, being coming up, then who was the most popular car in that area at that time? It was me based off the fact of the street hustling and the things that brought me um, the unwanted attention. Now, the description that they was given of this car was 6'1 to 6'3. Which you clearly... Long hair, clearly um, light-skinned, um, full beard. I mean, I was just a young kid who barely can still grow a beard right. to this day. Was so. you about 5'7"? I mean, well, not quite five seven, but right. I, I mean, I'm about five. Right, nine but you now. don't match the description, skin tone or height or. I was five seven at that time, right. stocky build, short hair, never had long hair. The description definitely didn't fit me. The police showed up at the home of Erica Wells, Carl's girlfriend at the time. The person that answered the door told the police that Carl was upstairs. The police entered the home and immediately got rough with him, taking me and throwing me onto the floor slamming me onto the floor, grabbing me by the neck, um, putting a gun to my head, threatening to shoot me and to kill me if I move. A lot of people don't really realize how, like, the tailored to America's, like, the treatment in the they, door. They absolutely don't. <laughs> it, is so, it is so comp the, the violations as far as what they would call civil right violations. Correct. Where it's like we basically have no civil rights in, at all. When you're at that point, and just feeling that and understanding it feels like it takes some of your power away. Right. You are powerless in that moment. Correct. You're completely powerless. And they take me downstairs and I have on nothing but my underwear. No other clothes on whatsoever. And I'm studying consistently asking them what's going on. The people in the house are asking them what's going on. They take me out in handcuffs. Now, it's January. The fort, you know how cold Chicago could be. It's to to go outside city. and to step outside in the cold. It's a form of torture it in of itself. It absolutely is. In of itself. But when you think about it today, is it was a deliberate process. Of course. Break, so it break adds down to your the will. trauma that you have already experienced from, from the moment that they entered in, into the house to accuse you of a crime that you didn't commit. So the person, um, they take me outside with the handcuffs on and just... I guess, for him to identify me. Now they're saying that he's identifying me and I need to go down to the station. The fix is in. And this is where the rest of the trauma begins. You can feel the butterflies. You can feel the nervousness. You can feel the, the anxiety because of what just happened to you. So there's still trauma that's continuing to follow you and walk with you through the same path that they're taking you on, which is a brutal path. So... And them presenting you in that way, having you handcuffed, holding you by your arm, and just yanking open the door and, and pushing you there and say, it's and the person cliche. is like, yeah. It's such a stereotype. Do you know this? But it's, Do you know this person? Right. And he's like, no. Nah. And they all go, and when you go to every room and they say no, it's like, oh, man. See, I told you. A, but it don't mean a damn but thing. But you don't understand that at the time. They put you back in that room and you're, you know, and you're like, Oh man, that you know, that was that. That was it. But then hours start to go by. Or you don't know how much time going by because you, there's no clock. And you're like, why the f am I still here? Then you see a, one of your co-defendants come to you. They bring him back to you. And he still says no. But then they bring him back within a 30 minute or within the hour time frame. And now he's crying. 
and you know, and 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 look at what's happened up. to him. And then he says, they ask him again, and he says, "Yeah." Now you, you know, it's 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 a concern and a worry. Um, it's that like starting to lose your grasp on reality. You couldn't imagine. I couldn't explain to you that feeling. Now, can we just be clear? Because it's not. It's it's torture. It Correct. is the breaking of the will, the breaking of the psyche. And I'm glad that you uh, recognize and identified it as that because that's exactly what it is. It's no different from the mental um, um, torture that you put someone in Guantanamo Bay through. It's no different from torture that you put someone through in, in Vietnam. So you're absolutely right because the tactics are the same. You know, and um, the objectives are the same. The objectives are definitely the same, just different people and the facts, those injectors. The facts can just be collateral damage. They're, the facts are unimportant right, to them not, at the time. Not. The purpose is to be able to find um, a person, to to accuse them and charge them with the crime so, so your day can be over with. I just want to remind you here, Carl's only 17 years old at the time when all this is going down. The police interrogate him all day, like 10 or 12 hours straight, trying to get him to confess. So just going through that process, hours on end, hours on end, to where... Right, you just want to end it. You it's just, just like, hey, it. you know what? Well, we want you to sign this. If you don't, then this process will happen again. I couldn't tell you of the fear that I, prob- that I felt at that time. Well, I mean... It's a very sterile picture, but the reality is those interrogation rooms are full of blood, spit, urine. It they is. Are, they are violent dark. language on the, the on the wall saying, "Hey, they're, right. they're they going to kill me here." Right. They are hot. They're you know they Correct. are literally stuffed with the Correct. energy of the people that were in there just a few moments before you. And you can end this process if you sign this statement. As naive as I was. I did think that was there, there a sense there was of relief. Some was there a sense of, of relief though after the fact? Um, I think that some of my anxiety kind of went away because of I didn't see them anymore. Not knowing that this has just affected my entire life. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. 
I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. At 9 o'clock that evening, Assistant State's Attorney Nicholas Grapsas wrote a handwritten confession for Carl. The statement said that he was in Anthony Brown's car when Carl and four other co-defendants saw the victim's Chevy Blazer at the gas station and then decided to hijack it, strip it, and sell the parts and split the money. The statement said that Carl was on the lookout while the hijacking took place and that he was in Brown's car watching while Brown raped Felicia Lewis. They then allegedly returned Lewis to the Blazer and demanded money. The statement said that afterwards, all five co-defendants met up and Scott Chambers told them they shot the victims. And then Carl received $30 as a share of the hijacking money. After being subject to torture and relentless pressure from the police, Carl Williams signed this false confession, sealing his fate. During that time, I was still um, in a state of confusion. I was still very hurt. I was also struggling in terms of defending myself. Here I was, you know, early on, you, you're given a, a, a PD who's not putting forth an effort to be able to um, actually highlight your innocence, but like they, to shuffle you along right, to be able to and underpaid. move on to the next case. Right. I was still, you know, you hear stuff like this, where the judge is a law judge, and this judge will see right through the police's nonsense, and then they'll bring you relief. Well, God, I actually hope that would be for me. That hurts. That That's like the loss of innocence right there when Correct. we learn of what a freaking fairy tale that one is, right? Correct. Until, and listen, let me go back just a little bit. The first time when I'm being arraigned in front of the judge, my co-defendant says still that I wasn't involved in the case, that, I, that they have the wrong person. This is arraignment. Yes. You would think that at some point, there was want to be an investigation. This is a continuing thing. No, you're on the conveyor this. belt right now. You're but part of the... I'm, things are continuing to move forward uh, at a very rapid, um, fast pace. And no one cares. So what actual evidence, like what, is, what, what evidence did the state present and what um, was your side? The statement. That's it. No co-defendants to come testify. No one testify against me. The co-defendant who decided to testify against another co-defendant refused to testify against me because he said to them that you don't know I was innocent and wasn't involved in the case. As a practicing jailhouse lawyer for 23 years in Stateville, I've seen this way too much. Public defenders are often referred to in prison as public pretenders because they often drop the ball. It happens more often than the general public has any idea of. And in this case, the public defender failed to get any exculpatory evidence to help free his client. The lawyer never went to witnesses. So um, there was a witness in the case, and at that time who was coming to court for me and who was there in the audience in terms of my alibi, Every time I had a court date. And they just don't talk to him. And they never talk and they never spoke to him. Oh yeah, we'll get I, I've seen it. I've trust me, I've I've seen it as a jailhouse lawyer, you already know. Correct. Right. The um 
you know, not knocking lawyers, right? However, when we're sitting inside and we're filing these complaints to the Attorney Registration Disciplinary Commission, another lawyer answers them, right? And basically, all these claims are basically all the same as far as failure to reach out to get witnesses, failure to investigate, failure to secure evidence, right? Maybe video surveillance or whatever, failure to get an expert to challenge any evidence. But here it is. All they got for you is a confession. You would think that he might have stepped up and did more. No physical evidence, no no nothing to connect me to the crime whatsoever. The jury deliberated for several days and eventually came to the conclusion that Carl Williams was guilty of first-degree murder. Carl was convicted because of his, you know, the so-called confession, the statement. That was the only evidence. And I think the police knew that they didn't have any evidence. That's why they beat you. That's why they used they all that. Something. They need something. The they only way something. they're closing this case against Carl Williams is if you confess. So they made sure to get a confession. Correct. That's how they got you convicted. But yeah, I mean, from the second I met Carl, I knew he's innocent. I still believe he's innocent. No doubt about it. The way I kind of like look at it is like, you know, the Zamboni machine, right? Yes. The thing, right? The flattens yes, out. I do. It's like a slow, like it's just running you over slow motion. Right. And you're just getting to this process where, you know, you're being run over by the system and you can't do it. You just can't do anything about it because a lot of times if the council does not do the work, the judge does not sua sponte on his own motion. Hey, I call radishes. Right. The prosecutor is just here for the slam dunk. Right. So now you um, you get found guilty. What is this? um, like for myself, I, I just, I don't even remember how I got back to my deck. What ha- What is your processing? I cried the entire way. I can remember walking back and asking them to speak to a counselor because my mind couldn't function. My mind couldn't tell you, um, I couldn't even uh, figure out where I was at at the time. And, I, and I'm getting emotional about it now because I'm thinking about my young self at that time, trying to walk through that tunnel. And you know and you that can't tunnel. defend that person. You can't protect that. You know what I'm saying? And you right. walk through that tunnel and you're, and you're thinking to yourself, they just took my life. Now, how could you reconcile with, with that when you, when you believed in something, you believed in something more importantly that you, you, you trusted in the process and then the process fails you. I sat by myself on that deck. I can remember just being in a room for days and people coming to check on me because they was afraid that, hey, you know, he might try to harm himself. I'm sorry. That is. And, you know, but it's, immediately, it's though. It's so crushing. Immediately, um, my mom, you know, my mom, may she rest in peace now. You know, she, she passed away um, this year from COVID on January the 2nd. I can remember her calling one of my friends who was on that deck with me. And he's like, man, your mom's saying, call her, call her. And I called her and she says, you know, um, I can't imagine what you're going through. My heart is broken, but we need to get focused real quick. What is it that we need to do to fight for your life? I just started to go and write letters immediately. That's where it all began for me. From 1994, I never stopped writing letters asking for help. 
I've probably sent out over 4,000 letters. <laughs> Good God. I I actually sent so many letters out. That, you know, we um, used to send 100 letters out in the yeah, bars. It's free. For those who to, don't know. It is free. For, the, for those don't know, Stateville prison yes. lost a lawsuit and part of a, an agreement was they had to send all of our legal mail out. And we would take full advantage of it. I would put them in colorful envelopes. I would put them in peppermint-looking envelopes, pink envelopes, green envelopes, just to make them try to stand out. And you name them, I wrote them. I said, do you know, do you know anyone who would be interested in looking into a wrongful conviction? I've written many letters. I've written many people. And Mike responded. And that changed the narrative for me. That Mike is his lawyer, Michael Scalar who took on the case pro bono in 2007. Before Mike got involved in the case, Carl had already filed two post-conviction petitions and both were denied. Together, they filed two more petitions. He started working on a case and he said, Carl, I believe you're innocent, but this is gonna be an uphill battle. I just wanna interject, right? Because this is, uh, this is the turnaround, right? So um, you're throwing down this deep, dark well right that's basically what it is it's like a stateville is like a little like a little hell it is a right? hell hole. and time is frozen right you have the same people reciting the same rap song that they were reciting when they got locked up right so you're in this like this pocket universe of hell and everything is going against you to prevent you from getting to that law library Correct. right getting copies right having any piece to read your case Right. However, the hope comes because you see other people getting out. Right. So me and you, we got to witness several people. So we did. That gives you hope. Right. Like even right now, like I really feel like the exhilaration, like um, one day we're going to child hall and talking to Baby Stone. Right. True. Next day, Baby Stone is out. The next day, Baby Stone is on 60 Minutes. That is a hell of a message to us. It is. And it's very encouraging and it's very supportive in terms of your spirit, your energy, and your peace, and your effort to continue to push forward and and drive the narrative of your innocence. And when we get the lawyers, right, because we know pro se gets no play. True. Once we get the lawyers, right, it gives us such a shot in the arm. I look at it very much like I sent my words out to fight for me. Mm-hmm. And over time, other people added their words to fight for me. And, and he soon, certainly added his and words And soon to fight it becomes an undeniable, an undeniable force. And it literally sets us free. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Long before I was ever even involved, Mike had done a ton of investigation and gotten affidavits from the co-defendants from a number of people attesting to Carl's innocence. Meanwhile, there's a Supreme Court case called Miller versus Alabama that was decided, which talks about um, how it can be unconstitutional to give life sentences or de facto life sentences to juveniles. Carl falls into that category, so they file another post-conviction petition raising that issue separately. The judge dismissed both of them. It went up on appeal and Mike and his team won the appeal, sent it back to the trial court to have a hearing on these issues. That's the point at which I got involved, was getting ready to have that hearing. I know like popular opinion is very weighty on lawyers as far as, you know, a lot of people give you like jeers for helping prisoners. As far as yourself and going into this process, what were some of the challenges? I think one of the hardest parts about these cases in general is just how old they are. And like, it's it's terrible for you guys who were in prison for, what was it, 24 years, 26 years. But during that time, memories fade, witnesses die, witnesses move. And so we're trying to piece back together something that happened a very long time ago involving people who have moved on with their lives and want nothing to do with you. So I think that tends to be one of the bigger challenges with all of these cases is that we're not the police. We can't show up with a badge and say, you need to talk to us. So you're, you're just trying to convince people that you're worth their time. So I think just the passage of time and the lack of any real power makes it really hard to sort of reinvestigate these, these types of cases. Our goal is to get Carl home. And the way we were able to get him home the quickest was to reach an agreement with the state about the the Miller claim, the juvenile life without parole claim, agree to a sentence. And we did a sentencing hearing instead of doing an evidentiary hearing and convinced the judge to impose a sentence that got Carl home pretty quickly after that. A lot of people don't really realize how long it takes for a post-conviction petition to matriculate through the circuit courts. The whole process in this case was definitely not quick. In 2012, an appellate court ruled that he was entitled to a new evidentiary hearing. And if he were denied a new trial after that, he should at least deserve a new sentence based on the precedent set by Miller versus Alabama. It always was one thing after another and saying, oh, um, 
well, we're looking, we're, we're waiting on these documents, or I didn't read this, or she would give me these long continuances. So it went on and on and on, and it dragged out from November of 2012 all the way to August of 2020. Now, this is what I want to ask 10 you. years. Eight do years. you see or do you believe that this using time as a weapon? It is. And how so? It's being used as a weapon because it wears you down. Imagine the psychological effects that that has upon you. You're going to court or you're having a court date and then you, it's another continuous. I think thinking about the how much time went by there, and I think you're absolutely right that there is a strategic reason for the state to delay things and things like that. I think also, and this is much more depressing, is that the delays I don't think are necessarily because this is the way we're going to win the case. I think a lot of the times the delays are you guys don't matter. And this is very true. there are more important things for these judges to be working on. There's more important things for the prosecutors to be working on. These guys were convicted. They don't matter. Carl was released from prison in 2020, but not based on his innocence, but because of the new sentence that was imposed. It's a chance to get out. But it also means you won't officially be exonerated. And that's a very heavy cross to carry for someone who is actually innocent. For me, um, it was very bittersweet. It's something that I was like, you know, what um, I didn't want to do, but was forced to do. I wasn't going to die in somebody's prison. My mom was older. My, I lost a son. It's one of the things that I, that I kick myself over and I've gone back over if there's anything I could have done to make this go faster because your son died right before you got out. That's very true. I've gone back over it and wondered, is there any place I could have made this go a month faster or something like that? I am beyond grateful that you were home to be with your mom. But your, the fact that your son died right before you got out. And, 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 uh, and I want to just make this clear. Not that he died as if he died from natural causes. He was murdered in broad daylight. I need to touch on this. How many times did you see guys our age lose sons to the streets while we were inside? Oh, man, I, I lost count. I probably, about, I know about 40 people who's probably lost a son. The father's not there. We're locked up. Correct. The mother is doing her best. Is putting the culture, her best effort. Right. But and the, the culture son, is drawing them out. The culture is drawing them out. That is very true. The culture is definitely drawing them out, um, reshaping their frame of mind, changing their free features. And it's really hard for them to get a values. grasp of what we're going it through. It, absolutely. Because it's like speaking a foreign language. It is. And you're still trying to be a father and a parent from and there's um, no from prison, thing. which, you know, you, you wish there was a such thing. Right. I and, mean, I literally, like, hashtag confessions of a jail daddy. It's an oxymoron. You're in jail you can write all the letters and all the money, but the culture is still going to get a hold to our children. It is. But in returning back into society, you know, I've taken every educational course that I possibly could in that prison, only because I've always seen a better future and an opportunity for me upon my return. So in the name of my son, in the name of myself, I was definitely going to, upon my return, Whatever day that was going to be, I was going to do something and make something better of myself 
and highlight it to, to do better in the community that I grew up in. Redemption, redemption song. I feel like I have been taking that journey. I feel like I have been walking that journey with the work that I've been doing. I now teach um, kids in the neighborhood who fathers were incarcerated or who mothers were incarcerated. I teach them carpentry. I, I own a furniture business as um, building custom cabinets as well as selling furniture and What's the um, name? cleaning supplies. Go ahead. The name Plug, of that Plug business City. is Royal Men Solutions. Royal and, Men Solutions. And you can find that on royalmensolutions.com. And um, one of the things that um, um, I do is that I take some of these these kids from the community, take them on deliveries with me, and I pay them. It's it's an opportunity for them to, to learn a trade and a craft, but um, also um, learn the experience of working a job to be able to provide for themselves um, today, tomorrow, and in the future. I think it's really beautiful how he's carrying on with his life with, without the bitterness and the baggage. He's very much a radiant soul. He's given back to his community and we'll have links to Carl's work in the bio so you can flood him with love there. And now we'll go to closing part of our show. I want to thank the listeners for having me as your guest host. And of course, thanks to the two Carls, Carl Williams for allowing me the honor to tell this story and Carl Leonard for his work on behalf of the wrongfully convicted. This last bit of the show we call Closing Arguments. I'm going to step away from the mic and let Carl and Carl have the last words. The way to avoid wrongful convictions in the first place, the way to fix the wrongful convictions that we have is for the people who are listening to the program to vote. Vote for prosecutors who are going to change the way these offices work. Vote for mayors who are going to appoint police chiefs who are going to change the way police departments work. It's a slow process. It doesn't help people like Carl, but hopefully it helps prevent more people like Carl. Get the people out who are locked up wrongfully. Stop sending the wrong people to prison. And I think the only way that we can do that is to vote for better leaders. I certainly agree. I'm reaching out to um, different legislators. Um, making the argument about how the narrative surrounding uh, wrongful convictions needs to change, how there need to be a calling for people being held responsible for allowing wrongful convictions and knowingly committing crimes with prosecutorial misconduct, with police brutality, where there be charges brought against them because they're crimes. If I committed a crime, you will bring a charge against me. They, it shouldn't be no difference. The other thing is, is that I thank y'all for being able to tell the stories of those who are wrongfully convicted. This allows an audience to um, hear the story, make a decision, and hopefully be active to change the narrative as well. It's important to inform the public so they can definitely be involved and get involved. It makes them more capable, more able, and more fit in terms of serving to change the narrative about wrongful convictions. Thank you for listening to Wrongful Conviction. I'd like to thank our executive producers, Jason Flom and Kevin Wardis. The senior producer for this episode is Jackie Polly, and our producers are Lila Robinson, Connor Hall, and Jeff Clyburn. Our editor is Roxanda Guidi, and special thanks to Jillian Forstad for help on this episode. The music in this production is by three-time Oscar-nominated composer Jay Ralph. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Wrongful Conviction, on Facebook 
at Wrongful Conviction Podcast and on Twitter at Wrong Conviction, as well as Lava for Good on all three platforms. You can also follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Free Patrick Persley at I Am Kid Culture 2 and online at IamKidCulture.org. Wrongful Conviction is a production of Lava for Good Podcast in association with Signal Company Number 1. Next week on the guest-hosted episodes of Wrongful Conviction, Patrick Persley will interview Eric Blackman, a fellow exoneree and someone he knew well inside prison. They're going to talk about the toxic criminal justice system in 1990 Chicago and how Eric ended up in prison for a crime he didn't commit. I mean, he couldn't have committed it. The guy had dozens, literally dozens of alibi witnesses. Now, Patrick, by the way, is someone... I mean, this guy is such an incredible human. During his almost three decades wrongfully convicted in some of the most dangerous and deadly prisons in America, he somehow figured out how to change the law that allowed for the evidence in his case to be tested, which ultimately proved his innocence and led to his exoneration. So... This is going to be an incredible conversation. Listen next Monday in the Wrongful Conviction podcast feed. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply